podcast name play nobody. I'm not doing a recap of last week. I don't want to. It sucked. So we're gonna do we're gonna do different things. I got an email from a reader, or a listener. Sorry, a listener. Um, that I'm going to pull up now because he makes he tried to make the point that we are uh, being a little unfair to this week or to this season. Sorry. Um, okay. That's our friend Joel. Um, Bill and Godfrey. Yeah, you got this too, by the way. Stop ignoring your email. Um, the idea that a se- that this season is quote-unquote boring has gotten a lot of traction, but I'm struggling to understand why that is. We've had plenty of wacky upsets. 15 through 25 in the rankings have been a revolving door, and it's been fun as hell. Mm-hmm. And even if Alabama and Clemson seem entrenched at the top, well, most seasons have clear leaders all year long. Here are the playoff mm-hmm. participants since 2014 with their preseason rankings. With the exception of 2015, doesn't this, this year doesn't seem significantly chalkier than the rest. Were you complaining in 2014 when the preseason 1, 2, 3, and 5 all made it into the playoff? Talk about boring. Uh, and then he lists out the, the, the um, he, he, well, he lists out the top, the, the playoff participants in their preseason rankings um, from 14 through 18. Fine. Um, well, my first thought is uh, 2014 was fun as hell because if you recall, Mississippi State was the first college football playoff number one in those rankings in the weekly, uh, in the weekly rankings. Ole Miss was uh, up there as well. I got on freaking outside the lines because the season was so weird. I think it was one Mississippi State, two Florida State, yeah, three Ole Miss or three Auburn, and then four Ole Miss or Auburn, and yeah. we immediately jumped on the conspiracy train because those two teams played each other that week. Yeah, so like Mississippi State was unbeaten. Um, Auburn, Ole Miss what looked like the best freaking team in the country, beat Alabama, um, in you know with the Katy Perry corn dog game day. Uh, and then, then we had the, that series of amazing endings between them. You had, uh, well, amazingly bad, the Ole Miss-Auburn game where Treadwell snaps his leg in half at the goal line um, and fumbles just about the most tragic possible football ending you could ever see. Uh, and then I think it was either the next week or the week after that, Auburn is g- coming back from way down against A&M and butt fumbles. Like, that was wild. And then, so, so yeah, the end result was about what we expected, but the ride there was amazing. I think that when people complain about this season, uh, it's that the ride hasn't been wild at the top yet. Yeah, and again, like we, yes, on the Sunday show, when we're fresh off of Saturday, where we are where we're disappointed, we didn't see more upsets at the top. Like, I think that's us at our most sour, basically like, come on, that was not what it could have been, you know, every single week, it seems. But I'm, I, you know, we always say like this: you can find excitement if you if you dig deep enough. Uh, and and you know, the problem for this year has been that you have to dig a little deeper to find them. But no, like at the top, it, this has been. I, I understand the end result is often uh, pretty chalky. Like even in 2007, the most amazing season of all time, where Missouri and Kansas and USF and. Boston College and all those other teams that were were threatening for the title, uh, we ended up with Ohio State LSU. I, we understand like, it's the journey, not the destination, right? Like the, the de- we we know how this ends up, but give us a little funkiness uh, in the in the actual race. Give us some like it's great that Northwestern just won the Big Ten race. I'm writing about it right now, or Big Ten West. I'm writing about it right now, and it was it's really a remarkable run, but it is different when you're at least hinting at the national title, like in 20. 20- 12, at this point in the year, Kansas State was number one, I believe, in the BCS standings. This point in 2014, Mississippi State was. Um, so it, it, I, that's the problem, really, is, uh, yes, th- th- you can dig deep and find a lot of really fun stuff. But at the very top, 
Like it, it, it just like it, it, it has just quenched all possible thirst uh, for chalk. That was a terrible analogy. I apologize. Um. Yeah. Okay. Um. Can I go now? I guess. It's not even the top because Clemson what? will fart around on you, man. Right. Well, not lately. <laughs> but throughout the season, right? I mean, there have been moments. Um, Notre Dame is one team change quarterback then definitely another Um, Ohio State which is sort of at the very top for a while before Purdue very volatile situation engaging storylines both positive and negative Georgia shows weakness LSU similar situation the problem is they who we dare not speak of and the sheer uh, inarguable, conclusive way that, that Alabama's playing football. That's the number one problem. I guess. Um, I mean, I mean, yes, you know, the, yes. but, but it's Alabama's always up there. They're the least of yes. our concerns. It really is yes. like, but the, a lot of the years we've talked about, we go back to the, what we were, the, the season we were usually talked lose. About. They lost, <laughs> right? Uh, and I, I, it's it's kind of funny. I do find myself getting frustrated at, at times by how fun Alabama and Clemson are to watch this year. Alabama's been a little less fun. Two has been hurt, so they've been going back to that grind it out and destroy all hope on defense kind of old Alabama recipe. But early in the year, especially, they were absurdly fun. Just Jerry Judy is is whoever I I'm I'm. Uh, uh, plagiarizing somebody on Twitter, I think it was Matt Hinton, maybe, who said, uh, like, Jerry Judy is liquid. Like, he, he just doesn't make any sense, and he's amazing to watch. Clemson, uh, we were just talking on the Sunday show about how many absurd catches T. Higgins can make. Um, the, the fact that they're fun is almost demoralizing, too, because we, 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 they are the inevitable death machines, but then other t- fun teams are supposed to make the run and charge at them and everything. But now they're like, no, we're going to be the fun ones, too. So y'all have that, uh, you know, y'all enjoy this, the, you know, the Outback Bowl or whatever. Um, I still help. It's funny because I was rooting for OSU the other day because I instinctively root for the uh, underdog. But an Alabama-Oklahoma semifinal would really make this all worth it. And that's probably not going to happen because they need Notre Dame or Michigan to lose. Here's my problem. Name me a program that has not yet been in the playoff that has the best shot of making the playoff right now. Do you know the two teams? I can tell you without I mean, looking at West Virginia and Washington State, I guess. Well, I mean, Michigan. Michigan <laughs> and, and Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, feels I ch- so it actually it's it's actually a, it's actually a artificial chalkiness in that if you're a fan of Michigan or Notre Dame you're thrilled right, but those are established brand name powers. We we have really not had a usurper in a long time. This UCF thing is also on another note at the other end of the spectrum. Game day will be there this weekend. Look, man, UCF's annoying. <laughs> okay, we can say this because we're the G five advocates. Like God, they won't shut up. They make it so hard to be a sentimental favorite. It's unreal. They're the anti-Boise. I will, like, the whole, like, you know usurpers in a while. Like, we have... I Where? Well, Wisconsin came within, like, a touchdown of making the playoff last year. Um, I know, and they've lost three games, four games? Well, sure, this like, year, but th- every year is different in that regard. We don't need the same usurper every year. We just need usurpers right, every but, year. But what I'm saying is they didn't get close enough. Uh, I think everybody was kind of waiting around on Penn State to kind of do the same thing for a minute. 
Um, I'm just scrolling mentally. Yeah, you know, I, Georgia, Georgia was a fun story last year, and I think because everyone is so instantly com- – the instant comparison is Alabama and the SEC – that no one's excited about Georgia as a developing program, kind of similar to the way that you saw like, oh, okay, like this Davos Sweeney experiment at Clemson is real. They really are establishing themselves as a national power. They're on the rise. That's how we felt as Clemson was coming up. We don't have that with Georgia because we think like, oh man, they'll probably, maybe they'll lose by 17. You know, they could cut it to 17 in the SEC championship. Yeah, I think they can do more. Do worse or better? What do you mean? Better. Really? Yeah. The only I'm going to have a piece about this. So spoilers in advance. Georgia is Alabama's equal in except in just about every department, but one. Well, I mean their defense is less efficient, but they are really, really close to Alabama except for I can one thing. And feel you know what the talk is. radio coming at you. You can you you know exactly what that thing is. They are basically Rutgers in the red zone, and so that makes them really interesting to me because they are they are their offense again. Like I, I mentioned this the other day, they're at like top five in in offensive S and P plus right now. They are a great offensive team. They are diverse. They are ninth in rushing S and P plus, and they are sixth in passing S and P plus. They're fifth on standard downs. They're fourth on passing downs. They are an awesome offense, and they are horrible in the red zone. But basically, and so they're probably going to lose. Yes. But if this is a case where, you know, instead of getting bogged down in the red zone, they score on like a 28-yard run or something, they can actually put touchdowns on the board instead of field goals if they're saving all their good red zone games for the SEC title game or red zone plays, then they absolutely can scare the hell out of Alabama. Especially if two is still not full strength, which, I mean, who they I hope you're that's right. going to happen. I hope um, you're right. And, I, and this is me talking about Georgia as a usurper again, and that's that's depressing. But no, I just – I, I want to make clear, like, this season has not had the energy that previous have, but I don't want to denigrate previous seasons, too, like this was a, a trend. It might be a trend. Uh, we're kind of – when you're in the middle of the trend, it's kind of hard to see if it's a trend or not. But this year has just been particularly special in that Alabama suddenly has the quarterback they've always lacked, uh, and Clemson midway through the season has the quarterback that um, just kind of stabilized everything and also, by the way, the best defensive line on the planet. So um, like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a peak year for Clemson in, in some ways, at least, with that defense. Uh, I mean, Al- I th- maybe it's uh, uh, maybe Alabama because they are suddenly great on offense. It's it's harder to poke holes in them, and then also we realize that they're all true sophomores, so they're all going to be back next year. Um, I like there is kind of a malaise to this year, but I don't want to necessarily paint it as a trend just yet. Hmm. I don't know what it's going to take with you, um, but if you can right now sell me on the most dynamic, engaging playoff possible, I'll listen. Before Oklahoma. We move on. It, it it pretty much demands Oklahoma Alabama in the semifinals. I mean, or the, okay. I mean, or the finals, but that, that, I understand that probably won't happen because that's that's Tua versus Kyler. That would be fun as hell. Okay, it really would be, and and it would be kind of a. It, it might not be as close as last year's Rose Bowl would, but it could it could absolutely turn into that level of shootout because even Alabama, is, they're starting to look suffocating on defense again. I don't know that anybody can stop Oklahoma this year. Um, problem is Oklahoma can't stop anybody either. And that's, you know, among other things, that's probably why they're not going to make, that's possibly at least why they're not going to make the playoff because they couldn't stop Texas and they might not be able to stop West Virginia. But, um, but that, I mean that to me, that's like a requirement. If it's, if it's Alabama, Michigan and Clemson, Notre Dame, 
man, kudos to both Notre Dame and Michigan for for putting things together and ending up with a hell of a season. Michigan's defense is probably the most fun defense in the country to watch, um, and it really would be fun watching that matchup against Tua. But, I mean, Michigan's not going to score on Alabama. <laughs> Notre Dame's not going to score on Clemson. And so that would be, to me, that would add to the kind of the, the, the inevitability of it all. And so I, I, I need Oklahoma in there to really keep things. For, or, or West Virginia, sure. That'd be, you know, if they went out and somehow get in there, that's fine. Um, but that really, it really does like Alabama versus, versus super fun usurper offense. <laughs> I realize Oklahoma is not a usurper. They, they were in the damn playoff last year, but it feels like they are because at least they have a new quarterback this year. I'm not feeling it. And I know a lot of people aren't, I was like sheepish about saying it at first, caught a little hell two weeks ago after Alabama killed LSU. And now I'm growing into it. And it, it's not being myopic or pessimistic. It's just that uh, there is something missing. A there lot has of people been. feel it too. Uh, again, there are always funky results. And I mean, we just uh, raved about Well, they're Davidson's. not going to happen on SoCon Saturday. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, others can. Uh, yeah, Citadel's not beating Alabama. But the SEC only has 14 teams. There are plenty of other results that could be pretty interesting this week. Um, but no, again, think, you have you know, to, it doesn't actually, involve the national on, title race, obviously. You hit, on a, you, know, you hit on a good point there too. I think... Alabama being a foregone conclusion is something you pretty much have to live with. Right. It's that two, three, four, five, and six aren't necessarily unique or dynamic this year, unless you're a Michigan or Notre Dame fan. Sure. Uh, I mean, I got, no, again, I'm like, we're, we, we probably need to move on. But no, I, I agree that there's, there's something missing from this year. Like, I'm not debating that. Um, have we but- ever had a year that you can recall? Because I can't where it feels this static until conference championship weekend and then suddenly explosions. Well, I mean, in a way, that was 2007, but 2007 had so much so often. Well, sure, yeah. My hope here, I'll tell you my hope here. Um, there are two different kinds of NCAA tournaments in basketball. One is where you have an amazing first weekend where there are just a butt ton of upsets and 15s are beating twos and, 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 and 13s are beating fours and it, it just it's wild on Thursday and Friday. Maybe there are a couple more upsets on on Saturday and Sunday in the second round. Uh, then you get to the Sweet 16 and you get like a lot of one versus 12 or two versus 11 matchups and the Sweet 16 basically sucks because uh, there are blowouts all the way to the Final Four. Um, and so pay, we pay the price for those fun ups. Right. It's basically it's fun early and kind of boring later or yeah. the opposite where it's basically chalk in the first round but then that means you get a whole a bunch of awesome matchups later in the year one versus four in the sweet 16 two versus three one versus two in the elite eight one versus one in the final four like that's and those matchups are really are, are high caliber and thrilling um there are two different ways to have uh, to be exciting here and if we end up with the most amazing alabama clemson game of all time uh which <laughs> it's on the table at least um then we'll forget a lot of the malaise that led to it but that's what we have to have if we get kind of a less exciting than normal regular season. And then Alabama crushes Michigan and Clemson crushes Notre Dame and Alabama beats Clemson by like a, by 14 points, but it feels inevitable the whole game or something that sucks. But there's at least the, the possibility that basically we have a lot of heavyweights this year. Uh, it has made the, you know, nobody's really been able to challenge them in any way. Cause if we end up with that final four, uh, especially if, like, if Notre Dame wins out, Michigan wins out, we basically ended up in a situation where the four playoff teams lost one game and it was to another playoff team. And that is a level of chalk we do not see in this sport. Um, 
And there are still pl- there are still upset possibilities, but that's it does kind of feel like that's what we're looking at, and that sucks. And and it better produce some amazing semifinals and amazing final. Uh, and if it doesn't, it will feel like a missed opportunity. We'll still have crazy the New Orleans Bowl will still be nuts, and the and you know the Northwestern still in the Big Ten title game. And God, I hope that doesn't mean. Like th- these division races are kind of fun, but I hope it doesn't mean a whole bunch of 38 to 14 conference title games that it could, except for Alabama, Georgia, maybe, which I guess could yeah. also be 38, 14, mm-hmm. but, um, likely, but, ah, ah, I'm not, no, it's not likely it's possible. Uh, I'm not, I'm not jumping on that boat yet, but, uh, no, it, it, it there has been all, all I will say to finish up is something I've already said three times, so I don't need to say it again, but there has been something missing this year and it, ha- you know, Hey, not every year can be the best, right? We're going to go straight into questions um, because we're sandwiched in, in the middle of lack, lackluster weeks. And there's also a bunch of um, – there's some – a little bit of coaching weirdness happening. Since we last recorded, we've lost Bobby Petrino and we might be in the process of losing Mac, Mike McIntyre. That one's a really weird situation to me. I, I, it's, like we've talked about before, I kind of understand it. But like you step back and you're like, are you sure? Are you sure you're pulling the trigger here? But, I, you know – Hopefully, if they're pulling the trigger now, it's it's at least in part because of the stuff that happened in the off season with the the last off season with the the domestic violence and all that with the the assistant and not just hey we're we're five and five we're too good we're you know we don't deserve five and five kind of stuff. Well, I said before he interviewed for jobs last year. He was mm-hmm. a bit of a commodity for a second. Um, I'm a little shocked i guess that colorado is is so aggressive about this mm-hmm. um but but that usually implies that there's stuff right under the surface we don't right. know about yeah yeah that's fine um, so i'm not like i'm not i don't want to deliver some big bold fiery take here because we don't know all the details but if it is because they've lost five in a row well i mean take a look in the mirror uh he could jump in and do um any number of p5 dc jobs too he's got a great reputation yep and again, the, Tom, the, the Joe Tumpkin stuff sucked, and and he deserved to lose some shine for that, a lot of shine for that. But I, we just don't know if that had a role to play in the re- rationale or not. Right, right, right. Um, I don't trying to think. We I don't think we had any actual. Oh wait, hang on. We might have a couple McIntyre questions. We're gonna jump there first, um, and then we'll we can double back Louisville. The thing is about it, it's such a foregone conclusion in everyone's mind about Louisville and Brom that mm-hmm. I'm actually getting Purdue questions. I know. I know. That's funny. Like, and, and I mean, I understand. I understand why. Like, the, to be sure, you know, inevitable coaching hires can fall apart. Um, so there's always a chance it falls apart. But it is funny. We've gotten more Purdue questions than Louisville questions this week. Um, okay, so J.P. Swain asked, should Colorado hire a West Coast guy or a Texas-connected guy? Um those aren't mutually exclusive. By the way, just as as we do this, so we are recording this uh, mid morning on Tuesday, and I'm gonna double check real fast and see. Let's see, yeah, we had a couple that didn't use the use the hashtag. You miscreants! God, it's like putting a coaster down. Uh, Evan Knox, he said, "Who would y'all's choices to apparently replace McIntyre at Colorado be?" And then JP Swain asked uh, the the question about West Coast or Texas. Um, Bill, you can vamp for a second because I'm going to double check. Okay. We'll do a little live reporting real fast. Just want to check a couple places and see if any movement has occurred as we do this. Like uh, um, official on McIntyre or. Yeah, I don't. Okay. It doesn't look like 
So there's a local news report that was out last night, and that's what's that's what's starting this. <laughs> by by the way, um, this we'll talk about this on Thursday. But I just realized that the single game I'm most interested in this week um, is on the Longhorn Network. What? Iowa State Texas, I think, is the most interesting game this yeah, week. Yeah, you're right. And I won't be able to watch it on my television. Well, I can probably figure out a way, but still. Um, so here's here's the one thing with Colorado, mm-hmm. that, and I I realize Joe Moorhead hasn't just you know laid waste to the SEC this year on the field, uh, but he's kind of laying waste to the SEC to to parts of the SEC he, that Mississippi State doesn't usually dominate in recruiting. Um, the biggest thing about the biggest hesitation when Moorhead was hired is you know he doesn't have any Mississippi connections. How he's a Yankee? How's he possibly going to establish the kind of recruiting that he needs to recruit down there? And they're and they're recruiting like gangbusters right now. Um, so the the local tie, they, yeah. You know, and and let me jump in real fast. That's because he hired the right people on his staff, right? Right. And and you could do that. And so like when we, when we talk about you know we, you need a coach with Texas ties or California ties or whatever. Well, you you probably need assistance with those things. You. I, Goal number one is always just hire an, a good coach and hi, and and hire a guy who clearly has a plan. Um, and if he if he's a Colorado guy or a Texas guy or a California guy, like that, that good. That's a tiebreaker if you can't decide between two guys. But just hire a good coach. And so any like you, basically for any job, my list is going to consist of who should you hire. Uh, the, this list of good coaches is who you should hire. So if you hire a coach in the Pac-12. Any of those teams have to have L.A. people. So to, to say, is it a California person or is it a Texas a Texas person? Um, logically, if you're Colorado or Utah or one of those schools, you want to have a foot in both mm-hmm. both areas. Yep. Um, I don't think it matters on the pedigree here. Colorado is a weird job because it literally straddles that invisible line that I talk about where – Coaches will say, "Oh, he's a West Coast guy," or he's, you know, he's he's not because mm-hmm. literally, like Midwest, Southeast, Northeast, it all blends together. Except then, there's just like these West Coast guys. But Colorado, I think, because of the Denver metropolitan area, there's a lot of transients there. Uh, there's a lot of growth in that area. I don't think it necessarily has to be a West Coast guy, even though you're gonna you're gonna do a lot of your living and dying on that side of the country mm-hmm. just because of the conference. Um, I think more than anything, they need to find someone who can assess the systems and, or or bring something in. I mean, I'm, I don't want to just say hire Joe Moorhead, but what I would say is don't think about it provincially. Don't think about it right. um, in any tribal sense. So if they go out and hire someone who's never left the East Coast, I think that's totally fine. I think you have to find – now, just like Joe Moorhead or just like – I'm trying to think, oh, right off the top, man, of someone who's a fish out of water. I mean, Dan Mullen before him at Mississippi right. State. Right. Um you know, you go in and you have to find adaptive. You have to be adaptive to your environment in terms of your staffing. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, like if, um, the, if this was let's let's use an extre- extreme and extremely false example here. Let's say UConn. Let's say, man, I'm I'm stretching here. Let's say Bob Diaco's still at UConn and he's like ten and two this year, and Colorado wants to hire him. Um, what weird world are we? I in? know. Let's okay. Let's let's not let's not name Diaco because that makes things weird. Let's say UConn's coach or UMass's coach or somebody in the far northeast is having an amazing year. He's like 38 years old. He's the the young up and comer. Uh, you want to hire him, and and he basically not only. I mean, he'll take the job, but also he wants to bring like his entire staff with him, and everybody's from Connecticut. Um, and has coached in like the, you know, UConn or the Ivy league, his entire career, their entire career. He wants to bring them all to Colorado. 
Number one, if you're that sold on uh, this imaginary, amazing UConn coach, then, you know, fine, go for it. But you ha- you'll have to build in a little extra time in terms of recruiting and everything else because they have a whole new network to, to establish, and that is going to take a little while. But it can still happen if you're that sold on the coach. If you're sold on a coach like that, and he's also like, yeah, oh, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to hire a couple – I have a couple ace Texas recruiters in mind I think I can get. I, I have a guy who uh, has recruited Los Angeles for a long time. I think I can get him. Now, that's even better. But it really is like the connections thing is a is a is a terrible analogy. I realize, but I think you get the idea. Like the connections thing is secondary to just <clears throat> hire hire somebody awesome. Uh, that's that's really. That's My gut here goal. is that there's there's a big piece we don't know about. Yep, doesn't make sense for a coach that started the five and zero, um, who resurrected the program for a hot minute. Um, there have been issues and concerns the entire time about maintaining a talent level akin to that to that run that they made, mm-hmm. and I get that, I understand that, but I'm curious what the I'm curious what the power folks are thinking here. Um, <laughs> unless there's something conduct or you know admin or, or some sort of violation or that kind of that kind of bucket, um, yep. <clears throat> something doesn't just something doesn't end right on this one. Um, and again, Neil I Brown, think McIntyre. Neil Brown, well, uh, by the way, is the answer. Hire Neil Brown. Figure it out from there. Neil Brown would be – I think Neil Brown would be an exceptional choice. Um, he, it, again, is a, a guy who's very universal um, because he he's a great example of – you talk about ad- adaptation. Yeah. Nobody gets stuck with a label harder than these Air Raid guys. Mm-hmm. And he spent last year doing a lot of not Air Raid things to mm-hmm. win football games. And yep. changing his offense when he had to because of the personnel and yep. not not just just square peg round holing uh, the players that he had at Troy because at Troy you're gonna ebb and flow to say that nicely you know yeah. you're gonna have you're gonna have good times and bad so um, yeah um, Neil Brown's not the only one but I will point out that uh, they lost a metric ton of talent from last year's team. And, um, and I think in the preview, I'm pulling up the preview real fast for Troy this year. I basically said like, he's still awesome, but you know, he lost a star quarterback and a bunch of other guys in regressions, probably likely. And maybe that means, you know, they take a step backwards this year, but he's still awesome. That, they are 42nd in S&P Plus. They are 8-2. and two. Not only did they lose their star quarterback and a lot of, of offensive talent, especially this uh, from last year, they lost their quarterback this year, and they are still 8-2. and two. Like they, they are Two guys have thrown for 1,000 yards for them. Uh, they are still 46th in offensive S&P Plus. They still beat Nebraska, which, hey, looks, which looks more impressive now. Um, and like they're only their losses are you know blowout to Boise State, which stinks, and they randomly lost at Liberty. That's it. They 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 just pummeled Georgia Southern in uh, Statesboro. They're in they're they're awesome again, and um, that that is a massive feather in the cap because they should have taken a bigger step back this year. Now, of course, as we just finished this segment up before we transition over to Petrino, we have conflicting reports. <laughs> um, Buff Zone. What an awesome name. Yep. Is it from? Yeah, it's from the Daily Camera. So that's the student news. I do know the Daily Camera is a student newspaper in Boulder, but they have a at Buff Zone. Is it student newspaper or is it just the news? Uh, anyway, sorry. Ooh, um, I don't know. I'll find out here. I'll be able to tell you in a hot second because as you load things, I don't know. It looks very <laughs> student to me. Um, we have now spent 10 minutes on a job that might or might not be open. Buffzone.com source denies truth of Channel 7 report that CU will part ways with coach at season end. So that was a slug line. I don't need to read the uh, – so, yeah, they're pushing it. Um, 
just just for perspective for a second here McIntyre was hired um December 10th 2012 and has a 30 and 43 record in six seasons and he has three years and roughly 9.9 remaining on his contract after this year CU is five and five mm-hmm. started five and oh lost five straight we tagged them really early on as somebody who was you know, just imposter undefeated. <laughs> right. And then they lost I mean, Chenault as well and just got him yeah. back this last week. So choose to be shocked at your own discussion. Mean, well, and yeah. I will say this discussion is not for not because guess what? Uh, any job we talk about that has an opening, I'm probably going to recommend Neil Brown. <laughs> so it's just. <laughs> um, most, yeah. By the way, just real quick, John Embry was 4-21. and Yeah. So. Not good. Yeah, I don't know that McIntyre really the, is, is, the, is. The floor of this job can fall out underneath Yes. You. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like, don't I, get cute. Mac, th- this has been. I think this will end up having been a little bit of a disappointing year. Although, then again, they were projected 84th, and they're currently 79th in S and P. So, I guess maybe it's about what was expected. Come to think of it, um, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe he should be further along, um, especially if he's going to protect abusive coaches. But um, you know, and you mongrels not using the hashtag. You're killing me. This is another one that just ended up in my ass this morning. Butch Jones is basically a national punchline. Cornwit. His name is Corn Witt. Oh, no, he Butch did. Jones is... He did. No, he didn't. Yeah, it's at the end. I'm staring at it right now. I'm staring at it right now, too. And it says, hashtag AskPAPN at the end. I'm going to... Then he then he tweeted it twice. Okay, he might have tweeted it twice, but it's in the AskPAPN. So take, uh, but, take it back. Corn Witt no, is just fine. do it right the first time, Corn. Butch Jones is basically a national punchline, but will he graduate the Saban Rehab Program for an HC job? Could his shtick work at Rutgers or some Oof. other G5 directional school? So here's why I bring this up. Um, we're going to bridge over and talk about Purdue. We're going to talk about Purdue because everyone in the world assumes that Brahma's going to Louisville, which makes a ridiculous amount of sense yep. on multiple levels. Okay. Do you know what Colorado and Purdue have in common? Uh, black and gold. Nope. Uh, yeah, I think, okay. yeah. but keep going. I say, I think because everyone is like, you know, sometimes you'd be like, Oh yeah, Oklahoma's red and white. And they're like, it's crimson and green. <laughs> but we are a- not the same colors of Nebraska. Uh, can you you got it? Nothing. Let me tell you, there are two jobs that Butch Jones flirted with publicly oh, and and, yeah. and and basically left people high and dry. On to take I think I, I, I don't job. think I realized that about Purdue. I knew that about Colorado. Yeah, he had visits at both, kind of toyed with both, and now both are open again. Most likely, as we say with Purdue, most likely. And by the way, if you're asking me right now for my informed opinion on a reporter, if I had to place a bet on. Whether or not Brom goes to Louisville, I would say yes, he does. Um, So, and by the way, caveat to a caveat, that's not about comparing Purdue to Louisville. This is one of a really unique situation where someone who's who's was described to me as as a homebody of a head coach, which is not a character trait that a lot of people are really have the luxury of having in this industry. But Brom, if he gets a chance to go back, he's going to go back, and he's he's going to want to build it for twenty years. You know, right. That's not against you, Purdue. That's just the situation. Um, kind of similar to Oregon and Florida State. It, it really wasn't about comparing those two programs. That's what everybody was trying to do with Taggart. His mentality was, I mean, he told me, as I wrote about, long before Oregon existed, he was dreaming and pining for Florida State. Right. So it, it, it it's not about a resume comparison. So you have Butch Jones. Um, national punchline, I think... Yes, because of all of the <clears throat> all of the dumb, ill-advised stuff that he did yeah. 
in like a self-marketing capacity while he was at Tennessee, which the funny thing about that is Tennessee fans now, of course, want to dog him out and make fun of all that stuff. They bought it in. They, they ate it with a spoon. I've lived in Tennessee for 12 years. Um, I was here for every second of Butch. And right up until the end, everybody was loving all that crap that he spewed. And he didn't need to do any of that. He just needed to win one or two more football games, and he'd still be the head coach right now. I firmly believe that. Yeah, well, uh, again. I mean, the Oklahoma overtime game, one of the the last-second losses to Florida, like the Hail Mary last year, like – he would still be there. So, yes, he's a punchline because he's he very much struggles to do and act in a way that's – there's a progressiveness to coach personality at the head coaching level now. I know Nick Saban is the outlier, but you have to even, – even a guy like a good old boy like Kirby, th- there has to be a level of engagement that, that Butch kind of lacked, and he was also really paranoid the entire time. They're all paranoid, but you can't be that outwardly paranoid. Right. That was his, like, uh, to, you know, to steal from Bomani Jones, he, he lemon-bootied a lot of games. Um, but he won nine. He's the only coach in the last 10 years at Tennessee to win more than seven games in a season. He, did, he won nine games twice with all of his flaws on display. He yeah. got them really close to a breakthrough, closer than anybody else has. I realize, you know, now we're talking, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to have, they're going to win the national title next year. But, um, but they, uh, he came really close. And and I think what's funny about Butch is like, yeah, like you're saying, I'm not sure there's been a coach whose flaws were so like immediately visible. Like, cause every, I mean, plenty of coaches are, there are a lot of worse coaches in the world than Butch, than Butch Jones, but you could, I, I, like his team took on that paranoid, scared persona in close games in so many close games. And they, he just seemed to go out of his way to not, well, well, the 2016 example where their defense fell apart because of all these injuries and whatnot, and so they had to unleash the offense. And Josh Dobbs, they basically played like a Heisman winner for the next four or five games in a row. And you're like, why the hell did you wait to do that? It was really he just was scared and paranoid the whole time he was at Tennessee. And and I mean, I don't talk to as many coaches as you do, but I've heard stories about how he treated his assistants at Tennessee, and it's just. I, <sighs> It makes him a really weird case because he succeeded. He has succeeded in multiple places. Uh, he was, he was, he, you know, granted it was kind of Brian Kelly's coattails to a certain degree, but he still uh, went 11 and two at central Michigan, his final year. Uh, he still did well at Tennessee or at Cincinnati, excuse me, for a couple of years at least. And I mean, that was with other people's guys or whatever, but he still did. He still has a lot of success on his record. Um, but you know, you're getting a very, very paranoid coach and you just have to hope that it's, if it's a lower profile job, like if it's a Rutgers level P five or if it's a G five job, then that tamps down some of the paranoia because it's not Tennessee. It's not as high pressure an environment as that. And maybe that leads him to relax just a little bit and he can succeed. Cause I mean, I, I, again, he's the only guy who's won nine games at Tennessee in the last decade. He's a pretty good coach. Uh, you just kind of know what you're getting here and it's not necessarily amazingly attractive. Made a lot of defensive coordinator hires that did not fit with what he wanted to do. And had, he had zero chemistry dynamic and understanding with, and that's probably what killed him in the end. Yeah. Like um, he fired his defensive coordinator when the offense was the problem <laughs> and then you then we found out later that yeah you know, well first of all he brought in bob shoop who has succeeded everywhere else he's been and shoop was suddenly a terrible defensive coach and meanwhile he he basically looked like he was handcuffing uh uh mike deboard because as soon as he says okay fine we need to so- score some points they score a ton of points 
It's just, yeah, it was bad. I know he that might be a, a kind of a Petrino ish problem for him down the line if nobody wants to work for him. Well, John Janzik had that was a mess for reasons I can't get into that okay. had nothing to well, do with football. Well, that's fine. His defenses yeah. were quite good. It's all he and Shub did not need to work together. Period. They just didn't need to work together. Yeah, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, Janzik had personal issues. That's fine. I mean, they that's had personal why, issues with one another. Yeah. Like it didn't work out well. If it, if it then, didn't work out because of personal stuff, that's fine. But his defenses were good. As far as managing the offense, I don't know. There's there's a lot of good and a lot of bad. Yeah. Uh, and he's an interesting experiment because oftentimes this is the moment where the public and the media wants to forget you and you actually end up being if you if you stop for a second and look and I learned this with like Ed Orgeron is a great example right I learned this with Ed Orgeron and a couple other coaches is those that fail even at the P5 level um end up being a hell of a lot better coaches 3 or 4 years later now to the point of the question is he's only been in the Saban rehab program for a year. Some people were there for a hell of a lot longer. Um, I think that he may, he might stick around for another year, depending on what that staff looks like, but he's not going to rush into another job where you have as much angst and frustration and power struggle as, as Tennessee did during that time. There's a reason why Fulmer's back there. So (laughs) I would, I would put that, I would, you know, I'd put all that into perspective too. So Uh, here's a, to switch gears slightly. uh, We got a couple of, of Chris Creighton questions. Number one from Mike. uh, Okay. Yeah. For a second, I thought they're from the same person. Uh, Mike Bogax, Bogats probably in the B O G A C Z on uh, Twitter. Is this the best EMU team of all time? Currently, it's the only team with a positive SRS rating per college football reference. Uh, second question, Chris Creighton to Purdue. Uh, the other qu- question is from Jim Schillender at Jimmy Shy 3 that, That's a good Twitter handle right there. Um, how bad is it for a coach who everyone recognizes has done a fan- fantastic job, but whose overall record reflects more the difficulty of the gig? Thinking of Chris Creighton at Eastern, who's on tracks for seven win at a job that's been impossible. Um, in a way, I think that let's see what's what's Chris Creighton's career record. He he has been a he's like um, Dave Clawson in that he, like he knows his lane and he takes on rebuilds and he's amazing at them. Uh, or he, I mean, he, well, I don't know about well Drake was a rebuild to a certain degree, but I mean he's won at uh, he's in the Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference with Ottawa. He's won in the North Coast Atlantic Conference with Wabash. He's won at Drake. He had two uh, in the Pioneer Football League uh, from 08 to 13. He he won or tied for a conference title twice. And then he took on really, uh, unless it's New Mexico State, Eastern Michigan is the hardest job in FBS. Uh, And in three years, he had them in a bowl. And this year, he's probably going to have them in more. Um, just a ridiculously good reclamation job, but overall his record, you know, his FBS record is 21 and 39 because he went three and 21 his first two years at EMU. And overall, I mean, it's a good record. It's a, it's 157 and 85, but that's kind of like an eight and four every year kind of record. It's not some a dramatically ridiculous thing that's going to get him the Ohio state job, but maybe that's good because if he moves up to the power five level, he's probably going to stay in his lane. He's probably going to take on a job like Purdue and he's probably going to do reasonably well at it. Um, lots of USC questions. I know. I guess we'll go ahead and do that. Um, uh, I'll just bunch them all together real fast. So there's a couple. By the way, uh, Nico uh, Gervasoni. Yeah. Uh, over under twenty four and a half combined penalties and turnovers between UCLA and USC. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a as easy. 
Okay, everybody, real fast. Shout out to Scott Shannon. Shout out to Montague Blake. Shout out to DJ Lights with a Z. I see you. Um, and of course, Shakar. We'll start with Shakar. Uh, real question: What does USC need to do to get back some to get back to some prominence? Is it just a good coaching hire? Are there other more systemic issues that are visible? Um, everyone kind of asked the same question: What do <laughs> they do? You know, uh, Montague Blake, who I think is a uh, UW fan, um, University of Washington. For those of you not familiar with West Coast slang, uh, he jokingly said, "It's looking like Helton's done. Who are the likely coaches on the short list, and why is it only Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian?" Um, so, haha, lots of fun here. Um, I'm starting to think they make a move. There's a really good point made recently, and I don't know who. <laughs> I think it was in John Wilner's post. John Wilner runs like this. I think he calls it the packed. I'm doing a bad job of putting somebody over, but <laughs> John is like the best reporter for college sports in the West Coast. Okay, he has a syndicated column, a syndicate, and he does a lot of really good reporting. And it is really, honestly, if you're ever so interested has picked apart this Pac-12 network insanity to yeah. its like most granular level. And, and of course, we appreciate things. Yeah, he's like probably that written more show. words about the Pac-12 network than anybody. God, um, God bless him. I think it was John who basically, so uh, I'm almost certain, he took the quotes from UCLA's leaders and administration about firing Jim Mora and why. He then scrubbed the nouns and and replaced it with USC talking about Clay Helton. And you <laughs> suddenly understand that with the way they fired more, the reasoning for it, and then the hire of Chip Kelly, you would really start to think that USC is concerned about keeping pace. Yeah. Now, a lot of us are kind of kicking around the ideas. We're like, well, what is what is Chip Kelly in 2018? And what <laughs> will USC or UCLA be? And you know, how far along is, you know, we've talked a lot about all that, but you have to think the program with the built-in advantage, the better brand, um, better name recognition, easier to recruit to, uh, you know, national power for a long, long time. I have a tough time thinking, I mean, we can explain why USC season went to pot pretty fast, right? The number one reason is that their quarterback plays for the Jets. Um, Bill and I can get you there in probably two minutes and it all sounds, no, I'm serious. And it all sounds like stuff that, um, doesn't feel like it's a systemic failure, but yet here we are. Yeah. I mean, USC should never be five and five. I mean, I think we can start there. Like they have a, uh, freshman quarterback. They've been, they've had to play Jack Sears at one point. Cause I think, yeah, Daniels got hurt at one point. Um, their run game has vanished. Uh, their their run block it's actually gotten better in recent weeks, but their run blocking was real, real bad for a while. Uh, so they basically had a freshman quarterback with no run game to lean on. Um, you know their defense has been pretty good. They're thirty first in defensive S and P plus. Uh, they lost Porter Gustin, uh, but they've still you know I don't remember when he went out for sure, but they only gave up fifteen points to Cal, twenty one points to Oregon State. Like they've still been all right on defense lately the last couple of weeks. Like they're just they're, they're all right is the pro- and that's a problem at USC. You're never supposed to be all right at USC, and and we can justify that. But at the same time, we knew this was going to be a, a backward step. This is going to end up being probably a six and six year, which is about probably two wins less than we would have expected. 
and that's disappointing. But it, like, yeah. you don't have to fire him. I, you know, I, I, I was lukewarm on Clay Helton from day one, um, and and so I, I don't think he's going to be the guy long term. But he, you don't have to fire him. You can give him space, and when, uh, you know, once you know, uh, Daniels has actually had an off season. His top two receivers are a sophomore and a freshman. Um, yeah, you know, they, they've got fresh, at least a couple freshmen that are playing big roles on defense. Like they, this could, he, he could be fine. But if you want to make a move, because we are a USC and we're never five and five, we never deserve like we should never be that. That's fine. I mean, you're right. Technically, this has been a worse year than normal. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I and, and I mean, we everybody knows my US USC, uh, uh, USC spiel by now. If you're going to replace him, don't look for USC DNA. Look for a like the best possible coach. You can draw one of the best coaches in the country. Don't like, don't I'm going to cut you off. Don't filter by USC experience. I'm going to cut you off and tell you with, with uh reporter certainty, they're not doing that. Good. It's not happening this time. And yeah. I, I was, that's, that's gone. That's, that, that's, that's the country club. That's the country club shit. That's gone. And that's good to hear. Cause I mean, they hired another member of the country club <laughs> a couple years ago uh, as, as uh, Pat Hayden's replacement in, in Len Swan, they hired a USC guy. And so that made me a little concerned, and, but that's good. That's yeah. Good. And I think that, I think you have to have that bridge moment. And I think Swan is that bridge. I really do to thinking in pragmatic terms and, and just opening up, opening up the, the doors to heritage hall in a lot of ways to and you you can't groom your own ad's and your own coaches at, you know through every cycle you have to inject new ideas and new blood everywhere mm-hmm. everywhere yeah so i think they're finally coming around to that i really do yeah um i feel like so as far as who they hire yeah yeah, yeah um, that part uh yeah i'm in a phase right now where i'm hearing names um but nothing i would pass on right now or even put in a post yet um i don't i think it would be a national search i think it would not be limited in any way shape or form to the west coast it would not be limited to any way shape or form into a california or los angeles person this is a top job in college football and if swan sells this right it's going to be treated as such by a lot of people at a lot of currently good jobs and I think that there are people in currently good jobs that I have been told have quietly had conversations before that the you know the, the public doesn't know about mm-hmm. um, that are going to be interested in this job for a multitude of reasons. Hell, the biggest reason I would be interested in this job right now is I look around that division for the next three years, and also I'm USC, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the, the, your your floor is high, your floor is really high. The expectation level, it doesn't really matter what your floor is because the expectation level is high, but there's nothing fundamentally broken at USC right now. Yep. I believe that. Yep. I think I think the right new blood has them in the national title picture in three years. I mean, that's, that's what it took Pete Carroll. Pete yeah, Carroll, by I, the way, with no USC ties and whose last job was in New England before he got hired. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, I mean, I think I think <clears> end of 2020, you're talking about a team that's going to be back in the legitimately in the conversation, not just you're the joke just media overhyping USC as always. I built that meme, damn it! <laughs> um, very weird uh, to be. It's very weird to be on the other side of it. <laughs> well, so do you have any more coaching? I feel like we've spent the whole time either bitching or talking about coaching changes. Should we like? There are that's November. Well, I know, (laughs) but like, um, were there any more coaching changes thing? Because I I was gonna, 
cleanse the uh, palate. Yeah, no, I mean Petrina, right? Petrina's such a fait accompli that right. uh, with 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 Brom that we're already talking about a Purdue replacement, and, and nothing else jumps to mind. We're not going to touch the Texas Ohio State nonsense right now because oh, God, it is no. still nonsense. Yeah. This is the greatest response to someone atta- assailing okay, you cool. or attempted. Welcome. It is one. I mean, I'd wear it on a T-shirt. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and man. So many USC questions this week. I um, got a couple palate cleansers. So as soon as you do see, it, okay. First, uh, this is a quick one. Um, Anthony B at Cerebr at Cerberus two thousand or man Cerberus two hundred X. Cerebus like the Cer- dog Cerberus. Cerberus, yeah, that's okay. the hell dog or whatever. From okay, mythology. Um, why do you, uh, this is I guess directed at me? Why why do you focus so much on rankings instead of the raw S and P plus rating in recaps? Isn't the point of a rating to avoid relying so much on volatile rankings? And wouldn't it clear up confusion to say X uh, team X won and gained zero point three points instead of team X won but dropped seven spots? Uh, yes, um, but I am a writer too, and I know which one people. I know which one resonates in people's heads better. <clears throat> so, also, yeah. uh, <clears throat> as his co-host and the person who does the countdown, yeah. We're we're trying to go fast, and I know a lot of people have said we don't want you to go fast anymore. We want that to be an hour long show every every yeah. weekend. Well, we can't yeah, do that right that's now. That's tricky. We would, yeah, um, TBD on that. Um, so in the format we adopted, where we were like brisk, hurry up, go 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 go, uh, rankings. I have to do that. I have to do that. Even if I rattled off the ratings next to it, I promise you, unless you were intently focused, mm-hmm. sitting in a dark room with your eyes closed, you wouldn't be able to keep track of all that stuff as we go. In an audio format, you wouldn't. Yeah, and and beyond the Sunday show, if he means uh, – he said recap, so that might be what he's referring to. But uh, beyond that, I also use usually use rankings in like – well, for instance, talking about Minnesota, one of my lines about Minnesota the last couple of weeks has been, you know, they, they've they moved either up or down in the rankings by 10 plus spots seven times this year. Uh, and that's not something you're supposed to be able to do. Um, I mean, I've talked before about how when you're in the middle, you you know, a little bit of change will 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 bring you pretty far up or down because everybody's so clustered together. But just like I understand that people it's a lot more. It resonates more, and it's a lot more understandable to talk about rankings. I, I, you know, there are times when you should absolutely use the ratings instead because you're right. I mean, if you go up, if you go up zero point three points and everybody falls, then you rose in the rankings, even though that you're basically the same team. So there is a difference. He's right, but I do it basically with the writer hat on. Um, the other palate cleanser. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> this is from a couple of weeks ago, but our friend, uh, at Kimmy Lynn library football lady, um, kind of, uh, bumped it when we were asking for more, uh, for new questions this week. So this is from, uh, last week, uh, Mark D Griffiths at Mark D Griffiths with Princeton's decisive win over previously undefeated Dartmouth, bringing them to an eight, no season record. What are the chances of them winning out the season against Yale and university of Pennsylvania? Well, very uh. good. they have already thumped Yale since this question was asked. They won 59 to 43 uh, on Saturday, but they won 59 to 43. Okay. I, I should save this for Thursday, but I'll forget because I forget everything uh, on your watch list for this coming Saturday, if you have ESPN Plus, I implore you at 12 o'clock Central Time to whip out your ESPN Plus. Eh, that sounded weird. Um, to turn on ESPN Plus, to queue it up on your laptop. Save uh, yourself. And and turn on Penn at, Penn at Princeton. Penn's decent. Uh, Princeton is now, per the Massey composite, the number two team in FCS. 
Uh, they are 9-0. and They are averaging, and this is actually, I believe, down from last year. They're averaging 48 points per game. Uh, they are awesome. John Lovett, the quarterback, is is um, you know kind of a run pass mix. He's he's rushed for almost 800 yards. He's thrown for 1600. They've got a ton of of, of guys that get involved in the run game. They got well basically two receivers, uh, but they are dynamic. And it made the Dartmouth game kind of weird to watch a couple of weeks ago. And hell yes, I watched the Dartmouth game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they won 14 to nine. It was like this defensive struggle between two really good offenses, uh, and it was really tense in that way because you were wondering if one team was going to explode at some point, and they never really did. Um, but they are really, really fun to watch. They are a really unique offense. Um, and, uh, oh, man, that dude, uh, Bob Sirach is the head coach. He is, he is tremendous. They are seriously, they're number two per the Massey composite in FCS and they are really fun. So yes, if you have an ESPN plus, uh, subscription, if your friend does borrow it and, and flip on Princeton pen on Saturday, uh, early afternoon, and it should be pretty entertaining and they are going to finish 10 and 0. And if they were allowed to participate in the FCS playoffs, they would be a national title contender. All right. You that out of your system? You feel better? Hell yeah! And hey, that was I. That I was prompted. My our listeners wanted to talk Princeton. <sighs> um, I'm going to be nice about the following. Uh oh. Andrew Priegler asks, "Can you just ramble about how fun a potential Cuse, uh, Cuse, <laughs> UCF, Cuse, West Virginia Petra Fiesta Bowl would be? Yes, it'd be very fun." And a UCF person, no offense, Saturday Night Lights, night spelled like a night at UCF, says, interesting side note, Dino was one of the coaches that was interviewed for the UCF job that went to Scott Frost. <laughs> Just knowing he was on Danny White's shortlist is why I'm not surprised they're doing so well. <laughs> All right. Did you guys just take credit for Syracuse's success? Is that how I'm reading this? Probably not, but, you know. Um, UCF is annoying. So, yeah, actually, probably so, come to think of it. Um, yes. So, um, I will say, so, what, one of the, like, there's an extra layer of depressing, of malaise in a piece I wrote yesterday. Basically, um, you know, yes, the playoff race is kind of static, and it's not a lot of fun, but my the premise of the piece was basically, hey, there, because there are, like, there are only two two-loss power conference teams this year, LSU and Syracuse, um, there's a like a lot of teams that could finish nine and three and potentially end up in a New Year's Six bowl. So I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting, right? That's a that's that's drama right there. And so that was the premise of the piece. And then I laid it out. I'm like, okay, well, Georgia's got one of those spots. Ohio State probably has one of those spots. LSU has one of those spots. Oklahoma and West Virginia are probably safe. Well, crap. Um, and so like basically there are like two spots available. But by far the most interesting one is Syracuse because. If they win their next two games, if they beat Notre Dame in the Yankee Stadium and then they win at Boston College, they're they're bumping somebody. They're getting one of those New Year's Six spots, um, and that's fun. <laughs> that's fun because even like yeah, yeah, there are there are teams like West Virginia involved, but like the blue blood effect here is heavy when you're talking about like oh maybe Florida gets one of those spots. Well, congratulations to that upstart program, right? Um, but Syracuse is still uh, eligible. If they win their next two games, they are getting in. There's almost no way to keep them out with that resume. They're not going to win those games. They have a S&P says they have a 22% chance of beating Notre Dame and a 47% chance of beating Boston College. So odds aren't great, but it's something to root for. And we know they can beat Notre Dame uh, with the right bounces this week because they almost beat uh, Clemson 
They did beat Clemson last year. Like they, they are capable of winning a game like this. Um, and God, it would be fun if we actually had a little bit of drama. Um, we're gonna wrap it up with questions because we did oh, yeah. nothing but questions. That's right. We got yeah, a couple more here. This is one. Okay, I, can, I'll just answer it for you. <laughs> but it's just a fun one. Uh, John Austin Perry asks, Bill, have you looked at the average age of players as a factor? UAB this year, BYU every year. Um, <laughs> that's impossible. That's possible. Yeah, impossible, impossible and overblown. Um, it's I don't know. Overblown on the, the the lineman thing is real. Like the BYU lineman thing, I've been told is real. But sure. the problem is, let me be nice. I'm about to I'm about to sail very narrow straight of niceness and reality. Um, if you are a 28 year old married offensive lineman for BYU and you've already gone on your mission. Chances are you're not one of the top 100 or 50 linemen in the country. <laughs> so, yes, your age and, and, and your body maturity and your mental experience and your mental maturity uh, give you an advantage. But you're probably compensating for a lack of raw ability that the very, very top of your position has in college football. Every that was year, nice, right? Yeah. Every year yeah. when I was writing the BYU preview, at least when they were good. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. But um, – Again, well, I've, I've done these previews for eight years now, so I, I did plenty of previews of BYU coming off of a good year and looking at another good year. Um, the number of, you know, mostly Utah fans, but others too, uh, who were just jumping in saying, "Well, they, they get an unfair advantage," they, you know, because they get the, they're old, they get twenty-four year olds instead of twenty-one year olds. Like, well, sure, that maybe makes. That maybe gives you like a five percent bump in some areas, and then takes away the, like three percent of those of that bump with drawbacks in other areas. It's look, it's it's a thing, and BYU has a lot of disadvantages baked into the cake. That's one thing that maybe they get a slight benefit of. It's not like it's turning them into national title contenders. It, it maybe makes a little bit of difference. UAB thing. I mean, they that's he's just basically saying like they recruited a ton of like JUCOs and players who then just redshirted and 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 baked you know to use the the baking thing yeah they, well they got the right. flex on they, yeah right. they got a lot of flexibility on right. eligibility stuff because they were restarting a program yeah that probably didn't hurt um let's see what what is their makeup right now they got a senior quarterback a bunch of senior receivers senior and uh senior defensive players so in that sense i mean you could say that experience like normal experience not like byu 26 year olds experience but um, there are certainly a lot of seniors uh, playing a role, a role in what is a very, very good defense. So, sure, in that way. But we already knew experience matters. So that's not that's not unique like BYU situation. Bill, take a note. No. Uh, SP Sellers over on the Reddit has a question that is inspiring me to create some sort of fun article in the offseason. Okay. Why are all of these teams having their worst game against Arkansas? Is Arkansas garbage and everyone overlooking them? Or is the defense improved with, he spelled it wrong, but I think it's a great spelling, Shavas. Um, Who the hell is having their work? What? They, I think he's referring to LSU. Yeah, that's. Also A&M. A&M, the, A&M was six weeks ago. In between, they gave up 31 to Alabama, 33 to Ole Miss. Oh, no, sorry. That was, where, that was how many they scored. They gave up 65 to Alabama, 37 to Ole Miss, and 45 to Vanderbilt. I don't think uh, this is the ultimate in selection bias right here. I think we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, they gave up 45 to Vanderbilt in their last game. I don't think we need to over overstate the, the LSU situation. Plus, LSU's offense. I watched that game. It sucked. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, LSU's offense isn't good. So that probably had something to do with it too. Sorry. Let's see. Who had a crappy game here where I can make this work? 
to a sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> that's all. LSU. And Tulsa, and Tulsa. Those are the three teams that have scored under 30 points against them this year. That, them and Eastern um, Illinois. 34 to Colorado State, 44 to North Texas, 34 to Auburn, 65 to Alabama, 37 to Ole Miss, 45 to Vanderbilt. All right. All right. If, the, if the trend carries through with Mississippi State and Missouri, which, by the way, sure. one of my time capsule predictions was, <laughs> was that they would get some sort of defining win at the mm-hmm. end. Probably not going to happen. Let's see. They um... I like fun little weird things like that. I mean, I really like that. I like that idea, SP Sellers, but I feel like we probably need one more data point. They still have about a 30% chance, according to S&P, of winning one of the next two. So, and, and, so hey, look, 76th in defensive S&P Plus, that is an improvement. So I don't want to... I don't want to like, don't abandon all hope here. They have improved this year, but that was a horrible defense last year. And, and so you could only expect so much, I guess. Uh, we're going to go back to coaching for a second, but I want your, I want your ideas on this as we close out. Okay. okay? Uh, you and I kicked this around. We were just talking casually this weekend. Um, Virginia, uh, this is VT fan 08. Virginia Tech is clearly stuck somewhere between worst offseason ever and rebuilding year. I've accepted the fact that this is Fuentes year zero and that the bowl streak and UVA win streak, which to most VT fans is more important streak, is the more important streak, will likely both end this year. I mean, maybe, but let's yeah. calm down. Um, my question should VT replace OC Brad Cornelson. Um, in Fuentes' three years here, the offense hasn't finished in the top 50 offensive S&P+. Plus. If so, who's a logical replacement based on Fuentes' <laughs> offensive style and connections in the coaching world? Um, there is definitely something wrong here. Yeah, uh, by the way, let's just ju- to, to clear out the, the cash a little bit. Uh, MB Getz, Matt Getz on uh, Matt Getz, MB Getz on Twitter says, uh, convince me Fuente is the right guy. VT fans have been spoiled slash conditioned to keep uh, to keeping folks around longer than they should, but this historically bad slide plus the lack of openness is starting to wear thin. This is the worst VT team since the early 90s. Uh, the lack of openness, by the way, when you're winning, nobody cares. But um, Yeah. Like you can grumble, but nobody cares if you're winning. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. First of all, they, they, per S and P again, they have a 14 percent chance of finishing bowl eligible. Now, I mean, beating Miami and Virginia at home doesn't sound impossible, especially since we know that uh, that S and P has been slow. We'll say slow to denigrate Miami and downgrade them to where they probably should be. Um, so maybe it's like 20 or 25 percent that they get to six wins. But uh, there, but no, there's no question that this is a bad year. It's kind of like USC in that, yes, this shouldn't happen. Yes, this is worse than they should expect. And again, it's the defense here. 93rd in defensive S&P Plus this year. Uh, 52 points to Pitt, 49 to Georgia Tech, 45 to Notre Dame, uh, 49 to Old Dominion. So th- this is worse than should have been expected. But this is the first setback that he's had. And coaches have setbacks. I mean – like basically, he's in he, he's in flux right now. They are 49th in offensive S P plus despite losing Josh Jackson midseason. Uh, obviously, Josh Jackson is not a world beater, um, and this doesn't explain why their run game is consistently bad. Like uh, Stephen Peoples looked like he was, uh, or no, it was I think it was McLeese. Somebody at the beginning of the year had like a couple of really good games, um, and then they've just got nothing from the ground game for a while. Um, but they are 40th in passing S P plus despite the quarterback situation. They mm-hmm. have I think. Honestly, if you told me that that Jackson was going to go down midseason, I would assume they'd be like 80th offensively. So I'm actually sort of sort of pleasantly surprised by where the offense is. The defense has been a problem. The thing about the question for me about Fuente moving forward is 
Like if 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 I know I know we've heard about and you've heard about like you know the, the relationship with Bud Foster not being all that great. You've mentioned that on this show before. Assuming Foster stays for now, um, can uh, can all of this year's struggles be simply pinned on the fact that they've got a just a metric crap ton of freshmen and sophomores playing key roles and that they will improve? Uh, and the answer let might me cl- be yes. let me clarify the relationship with Bud Foster. I didn't say it was bad. Well, it's yeah. just that. Awkward. As time goes on, I think the two sides aren't matching. Right. You know, that's what I meant. And, so, I, and like what that's... I don't mean is like a boardroom disagreement more. I mean the fact that honestly, they're I don't I, I like Fuente a lot, but I, I, this, the, he hasn't provided what I, I think that they kind of had down on paper is the offensive side of this is what sort of he would he was supposed to install into Virginia Tech, especially by this point. Yeah, that's and, a big thing. Yeah, well and and I mean He's going to have to recruit a quarterback. Like that's that that's number one. The run game stinks, but he is going to have to like you know he lost uh, his starter his first year a year before he expected to, and so Josh Jackson got thrown into the mix, and he's okay. He's he's basically like Malik Rozier, okay. Um, and you know, and then he got hurt, and so now he's playing a Kansas transfer and Ryan Willis. Um, and, and you know, Quincy Patterson plays briefly, goes one for five, and 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 that's all he's done. So and he's a freshman. So I mean, like that's the that's the thing. He had quarterbacks in Memphis, uh, and he did, he really doesn't have one yet at Virginia Tech, and and yeah. that's something he's going to figure out. If he gets his guy there, then everything's fine. Like you can go line by line and basically kind of paint a very acceptable picture here. He did lose his quarterback after the first year. Nobody really expected that to happen. Um, and then their offense kind of bottomed out last year and it has improved this year. This year, uh, they they lost a bunch of defensive uh, guys that they knew they were going to lose. And then they lost a few more to injury and transfer and dismissal. Uh, and they're playing a, like a ridiculous number of freshmen and sophomores this year. If the defense rebounds like the offense has, only more so because Bud Foster is still probably you know, he hasn't forgotten everything he's ever learned about defense, then they can, this is still a team that could easily be top 40 or top 35 next year and then build from there. But yeah, there's to me, there's no question that at the very least, like this is not as much of a slam dunk as we thought it was going to be two years ago. There's some tarnish, man. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it's something that is just now starting to get talked about. And uh, I think people are kind of craning their necks a little bit as the ACC is trying to reinvent itself again. Mm-hmm. Upper middle class thing we talk about a lot, but like, It'll be interesting. Um, he has a really good relationship with Whit Babcock, the AD. Um, I think everybody's okay with the hire right now. It's not like they're they're. This is not a school that makes a change, but it's just they need a kick in the pants to say it like a dad. Um, I, I honestly think that a lot of the the vintage VT stuff from the Beamer years and Vic and all that they really feasted in recruiting areas like like Newport and the Tidewater where college football hadn't caught up yet and in a lot of ways college football is caught up with that mid-atlantic area and they've got to they've got to figure out their next steps yeah and i mean the biggest thing they had going for them in memphis was talent evaluation too so even if they're not like keeping up as much like land that's what blows my mind like i wrote a i wrote a story about how well they scouted underneath the sec the overlapping sec radars where you would have they would go into the North Mississippi suburbs after Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas. Like they would go to West Memphis in the same the same way, and then they would go through their city, and they put together a hell of a team. Now you don't do that in the Horn of Virginia, right? Like the talent's not there, so 
Is that the problem? Um, do they need to go into the deep south? Are they are just another team kind of poking around places like Atlanta? Um, the, you know, the D.C. Maryland area is, mm. is contested, mm. and it's one of the problems, you know, Maryland, the University of Maryland is, is looking at for their next hire. I don't know. Yeah. It's a combination of things, but they're not scouting out and finding. I, I, my assumption was the way that they, they built their Memphis structure of talent and roster and then the whole coach them ups idea mm-hmm. was that they would do the same thing as Virginia Tech being just that step off of the Florida States and Clemson's of the world. Yeah. You know, kind of come in behind them, scout, evaluate, find their guys. And it just, we haven't seen it translate on offense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but again, like this, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that this is more uncertain than normal, but at the same time, Ricky Walker is the only defensive, the only defensive player, the defensive senior who has made more than four tackles this year. And you figure that out and you get some sort of stability at quarterback, either, either Willis next year takes a step forward or, or, or builds on what he's done this year as a senior, Josh Jackson comes back and, and builds on what he's done so far. Cause he really wasn't doing that bad before he got hurt. Um, you know, those things, cause they were a lot higher than 49th and offensive SP plus a few weeks ago. Um, like if one of those things happens, they get stability at quarterback and experience on defense. Maybe they're fine next year. It's just, it's a, maybe now it's not we, like this. If two years ago, we would have said like by year four, this thing's going to be humming. They're going to be a top 15 program. And now I'm like, well, maybe I, if yeah, things I, go I right. I definitely thought that. Right. Like now I'm like, maybe if things go right, they can be top 35 again next year. And that's definitely a shift. Not good. Not good. We're so um, negative. We're so negative in this show now. I'm gonna try. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad gonna... you said that because I will now say emphatically again. I this is not a coaching hot seat thing right now. We're looking long term. Right. Um, but just so, just for the record, I'm going to bust my ass to find some really fun games to watch on Saturday. It, it might take some. It might take some ingenuity, but we're gonna we're gonna piece together a fun Saturday. Well, good because we're gonna come back here on Thursday and you're gonna try and sell me this. Yep. So. I am a I am a grumpy customer, so good luck, sir. <laughs> I was meant to sell the readers, but sell you first, I guess. Damn right. 